Hello, and welcome to On the Marie Curie Couch, the podcast that aims to break down taboos and start open, honest conversations about death and dying. I'm Jason Davidson. I'm a social worker by profession, and I've worked in palliative care, hospice care, and bereavement support services for more than a decade. Each episode, we'll be speaking to a well-known guest to find out about how they feel about their own mortality and how their personal experience of bereavement has shaped the way they live their life. Today, I'm on the Marie Curie couch with Gail Porter. Gail's a Scottish TV presenter who grew up in Edinburgh and began her career in the 90s with programmes including Fully Booked, Live and Kicking, and Top of the Pops. Around this time, she also worked as a model, appearing in magazines such as FHM. In recent years, Gail's opened up about her own mental health struggles and supports a number of charities, including the Samaritans. She has a teenage daughter and lives in London. I'll be talking to Gail today via a video call. Gail Porter, welcome to the Marie Curie Couch. Thank you very much. I just wanted to begin, Gail, by asking if you could tell us about a significant death you've experienced in your life. Well, my mum died, cancer, my grandma, cancer, my great-grandmother, uh, no, old age. But my dad died just before lockdown, but that, that wasn't cancer, that was um, something different. It was a brain hemorrhage. Could you tell us about your dad's death? Um, and, and, and what happened there? It was two weeks before lockdown and he was in Spain and I got a phone call from him in the morning. He's fine. And then I got a phone call in the evening from his phone, but it wasn't him. It was someone saying, your dad's dead. And so, yeah, I was in Scotland and it was a complete sudden thing. He'd been out, out for, saw his friends in the morning, went home at lunchtime for a little lie down and had a massive brain hemorrhage. So I had to get back from Scotland to London, sort things out London, get over to Spain, get everything sorted in Spain on my own, and then um, getting back to London, cremated before, I got back two days before lockdown. So that was all of it. So yeah, it was me and my dad in a box and the cat over lockdown because I dropped my daughter, my daughter was at her dad's and of course I was quarantined when I came back and I didn't want her to come to Spain because she was 17 at the time and you know, you know, it's death is bad enough without dragging people along to a different country and, and trying to sort of things out. So it was pretty stressful. And I'm still sort of dealing with it all now because, you know, there's not many people around to give you a hand during lockdown. You can't get hold of anybody. So there's a lot of, you know, legal stuff, you know, what comes along hand in hand with death and payments and things that you don't know about. So, um, yeah, it's been pretty stressful. Still pretty stressful, but keep smiling. Nothing I can do about it. Keep going. And shock, shock and gale, I guess, as well, you know, so sudden. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, because I remember about the phone call in the evening. And I was like, oh my God, you're keen. You phoned me twice in one day. And it was just a, a woman going, your daddy's dead, your daddy's dead. And I was like, yeah. So I got my cousin to phone this number. I said, phone my dad's number. And then the same woman gone to visit my dad and he was dead. So, yeah, it was a bit of a, yeah, still a bit of a shock, but, you know. So she'd, she'd found him, did she? Apparently, so we still haven't got the full story, so I don't really know. But I just wanted to get him home. Managed to get there, identify him, get him cremated. And <laughs> dealing with this, but I don't know why I'm laughing. I think it was just pure 
um, yeah, because the police were all out at the end, not to do with my dad, but with the lockdown because they were very strict in Spain. So when I first arrived there, it was not quite kicking in as it was. So the first three days I was allowed to travel around and then it was literally, you cannot leave your apartment. And so if you left the apartment, it was police cards would stop you. And I had the funeral card to try and get to the funeral directors, but they'd all take, you know, they were having their siestas. And then, you know, and trying to say to them, I need to get on a plane with my dad back to London because like, much as I love it here, I need to get home. I've got my daughter and I've got my house and I didn't know how long this was going to last for. So I had one flight for the, I think the Friday morning. They didn't turn up with my dad's remains. So I had to change it to another flight. They didn't turn up. So eventually I'm trying to get these people and they're going, mañana. I was like, no, mañana, now, you know. So, and then eventually I got the last flight home. And of course, by that point, I think the price has gone up tenfold. So I was just trying to get out of Spain and then get back home. And then when I got home, I was really, really ill. Couldn't smell anything, coughing, couldn't catch my breath, fever. So I phoned the doctor. They called 11. I called 111 after that. They advised me to. And then they said to me, just do not leave your house. And I said, well, it's locked down. I'm not going anywhere anyway. And they said, if your breathing gets worse, phone 999. I was like, great. <laughs> what a start to lockdown. But yeah, I just stayed in bed and kind of sweated it out and just didn't leave my house for four weeks. But I got through it. So your dad, your, your dad was cremated in Spain. I guess he lived there. Uh, no, he didn't. He lived in, well, he lived in Scotland, but he spent six months of the year in Spain. So he had a rented apartment in Spain, somewhere in Scotland. So it's just been, I'm still dealing with it all. I don't know. Because obviously he, he didn't expect it. So there was nothing left. Um, luckily, he did leave a few instructions. But other than that, we've still tried to figure out where everything is. And, you know, it either breaks you or it makes you stronger. So I'm still, you know, you have your good days and your bad days. Mm. But it's like everyone. I know this sounds really odd, but maybe it doesn't sound odd to you. But watching mum, it was a long, with cancer, it was long and horrible and awful. With dad, spoke to him in the morning, gone for a pint. He wouldn't have even known it happened. So in a weird way, that sort of made me feel a bit better. He was in the sunshine, he'd seen his mates, he'd gone for a lie down. There you go. How long ago was it when your mum died? Oh gosh, mum must be, let me think, 10, 10 years ago now. So yeah, maybe more than that, maybe 12. So she had a long illness. Yeah, quite long, yeah. My brother was with her the whole time because I was in London and my daughter was quite young at the time. So and my mum was in Scotland, so it was quite difficult going up and down. But my brother was an absolute legend. He was just with her 24-7. Uh, did everything for her. So she, she was lucky to have him. Have they ever had um, conversations about death and dying? So what, what, what kind of messages when you were younger and growing up did you get about death and dying you know was it something that was open and talked about or was it something that was not talked about taboo yeah we didn't talk about it dad wanted to be peter pan and live forever and um if anyone died it was so very we didn't really discuss it but yeah my mum would watch all the murder programs on the telly that was fine but yeah we couldn't talk about death <laughs> you know so no we never talked about it and it was kind of like go to the room or just yeah it was all very odd. So they never talked about their own deaths and what they wanted at the end or plans? No. I think, I think yeah, my mum and my brother discussed what was going to happen. But uh, my dad wanted to be put on a boat and set in fire in Spain, but I think that's illegal. So <laughs> You didn't want to be breaking the law amidst everything else. Yet. I was just like, do you know what? I've got, I've, got, I've got five days to get back before I'm locked down and I'm not going to set you on fire and get arrested and spend lockdown in a Spanish jail. Love you, Dad, but no. <laughs> That's incredible you managed to sort all that out. I mean, 
I can't begin to imagine it. I think I was on autopilot and then I was just lucky. Do you know what? I was lucky. I had a bit of cash in the bank because if I had no money in the bank, I would have been completely, you know, screwed. Um, but I had some, so I had to go into the savings. And then, it, I mean, to get there, to get cremated, to get back, it was just endless. It's still endless. But I think I went on to autopilot thinking it has to be done because in Spain, they can only keep the body in the morgue for so long. And then, so they, you need to come out now. And I was like, they're going, have you got anybody else that can help you out? And I said, well, not really. I had a few friends that said, you know, we'll come, we'll come. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when it got down to it, I thought, no, that's not fair. So I just jumped on a plane. And a couple of them were quite angry saying, we could have come, we could have come. And I was like, no, do you know what? I'll just deal with it on my own. I'm best on my own as well, because my moods were up and down and all over the place. And then I didn't want to feel guilty towards friends and I didn't want them to feel that they had to hang around with me and sometimes you need to be on your own when you're in shock and grieving so I kind of just wanted that time I thought I've got five days to sort this entire thing out and I don't want to be worrying about as much as I love my friends I don't want to be worrying that they're okay and can they have they got somewhere to go during the day well I'm going to identify this and go to the yeah I was just like no yeah, you don't want to have, you wouldn't have had the energy to care for anybody else, you know. Yeah, I'm a worrier. I was just wondering, is the supermarket going to be open by nine o'clock at night to get a bottle of wine um, on the last night before I get on that plane? So my dad was in the in these, in these little box and it's all safe and sound and I've got my bags all packed waiting for find out if I could get a flight. And then it was literally like, I got a phone call from someone and he said, have you got your bags packed now? And he said, yes. They went, get a taxi, get out now to think we've got your flight. Yes. So it was all very odd. It just went from people sitting on the beach and everybody there knew my dad. So they were like, oh my God, you look so like your dad. Is he coming out for a drink? So I'm having to go, no, he's not. I'm just actually waiting for this. And they're like, oh my God. And then they're crying. And I was like, I'm really sorry. And Because I do quite, look quite like my dad. So my dad had more hair than me. But <laughs> So you were having to break news to people because of course it happened so suddenly so they didn't know. Well, the thing is, people, even my dad's friends in Scotland didn't know because I didn't have time. It was literally, I was working in Scotland, straight back to London, book a flight, straight out to Spain. And still to this day, you know, because I'm not very good on Facebook and I think the older generation are good at Facebook. I'm terrible. I'm kind of Twitter and da, da, da. But it's not like when we were young, everybody had like address books and birthday books. And, so you had, every, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not like that anymore. Everyone goes to Facebook. So I've only, I've got an old phone that's got Facebook on it because I can't seem to figure it out on my computer. So I was trying to go through it and people were saying, oh, I saw you were in Spain. How's your dad? And I was like, oh. So um, yeah, we've still got my dad. Don't know what to do, what he would like to do. He probably, we'll figure it out. He's got one brother. So um, whatever his brother wants to do in Scotland. I think his brother just wanted him to be back. So I was on a mission. It, it was kind of good in a way. It was kind of go, go, go. But it was so, it was very complicated for someone that doesn't speak Spanish and I don't know the area. When anybody's grieving and in shock, organising a funeral can be complicated to start with, let alone in another country, where, as you say, you don't speak the language. In the middle of lockdown, you've got to get back. You've only got days. It was, uh, yeah, it was um, a mission. I'll give you that. So... I must admit, when he did get back, I was going through this paperwork everywhere on the floor and the phone was going and he's like, right, this, 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 you know, money, finances, da, da, da. And I said to my dad, I said, right, no offence. Well, in the box, I went, I'm just going to pop you in the spare room because I'm not speaking to you today because <laughs> you've left me in all this, but I'll bring you back in a minute. Yeah. So, <laughs> my dad had a good sense of humour. Well, he thought he had a good sense of humour. I think I've got a decent sense of humour. So I think you have to just keep going because I've, it would be quite easy to sit in and 
cry all the time, but there's nobody else to get on with the job in hand. And the longer I would feel sorry for myself and not get, get anything done. But I mean, I, I feel sorry for everybody who's, anybody who's lost somebody over, I mean, it's hard enough losing somebody anyway, but over lockdown, and especially if people want funerals and things like that, was not being able to get together. I mean, fortunately, you know, my dad didn't want any of that. He just wanted to be cremated and do something and don't cause a fuss. But I feel for people that are having to go through all this and, and not being able to cuddle loved ones or see loved ones, or even people that are going through cancer just now who can't touch anybody or be with people. I can't imagine. So in one way, I'm very lucky. My dad was having a great time. I had a bit of a hassle, but, you know, he died happy, not knowing. And there's a lot of people that, like, you know suffering and can't see each other and can't cuddle each other and can't plan anything. Just talking about planning and I think this is really hopefully useful for people listening. I was struck when you were talking about the, um, the old um, address books and birthday books because you know that, that thing about just being able to have something that's in a book to go to that's got all the names of the people who you've got to ring to inform and all the telephone numbers and they're all kept in one place that can be really helpful i think other things as well like you're saying you know there's so much to deal with and manage afterwards you know whether that's finances whether it's property whether it's people and emotions and so that's why one of the aims of this podcast is to get people to talk a bit more about death and dying and also plan for it. I'm planning already. I am planning because I'm, I, thought my, I don't want my daughter to go through any of this mm. because I'm still getting phone calls of things I didn't know and, and like the tax man on my back and you just think, my gosh, it's just happened. So I am... Um, getting this sorted now and my daughter keeps saying stop talking about it and I said seriously I want you to know exactly what's going on I don't want you to and I'm not intending on going on holiday a week before (laughs) not that I mean if I get knocked over or something you never know but if something you know I just want it to be planned and I think it's a good thing to talk and plan about things and get things in order as least hassle as anybody else has to deal with is better because they're going to be you know people grieve enough without thinking oh my gosh we've got hundreds and and have I contacted this person? I have a phone this person. And even trying to contact the registrars when dad died, they're going, I'm oh, sorry, lockdown. So that was really difficult. But yes, planning is a very good thing to do. And, and as you say as well, you know, there can, be, there can be like immediate expenses and costs. Especially if you go and die in Spain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the struggles, I think, for those people who don't have a bit of money in the bank and don't have access... Well, yeah, I was, I was bankrupt a few years back and I was thinking, oh my gosh, if this had happened while I was bankrupt, what would I have done? How would I have got there? What would they have done with my dad? Because um, people weren't helpful anyway. When I was on my own, nobody wanted to help, like legally. And it was lockdown, so my dad would have just been out there, I reckon. So, yeah, as you say, people are not lucky enough. You know, a couple of years back, I wouldn't have been able to go and get my dad. So you, you, you did get him, and so you brought him back, and so you've got his ashes over, um, well, his ashes are over in Scotland? Yes, he was here until Nicola Sturgeon said I was allowed up on the 15th of last month, I think. So I quickly booked myself a ticket, so got Dad sitting beside me in a bag that said happy on it, so it didn't look like a, a little, you know, tiny 
coffin. So um, I didn't want to freak anybody out because I did that on the plane on the way back because I was sitting at the back of the plane and there was me and a guy sitting next to me and my dad was at my feet in the happy bag. Yeah, I like it. Because I thought happy is a nice, you know, put him in there and I'll just carry him on his hand luggage. <laughs> and uh, so we're sitting at the back and a lady, uh, ear hostess lady came up and she said, oh, are you Gail? And I said, yes, you I remember you were on a flight with us years back and you were, oh, you were so lovely and chatting away to everybody. We've got two seats in first class. Would you like to go and sit in first class? And I was like, two seats? Oh my God, that's amazing. Because there is two of us. And the guy went, no, I'm not with you. And I went, no, that's my dad. <laughs> and he was like that. Oh, give her the seats. Give her the seats. <laughs> and the woman was like that. Sorry? And I went, yeah, I got my dad. It all went quiet at the back of the plane. And then they put me down to the front. And I put my dad on. And I put the seatbelt on his happy bag. And we've got the two trays down. And she went, went two bottles of miniature wine I went that'd be great yes so I had them first and my dad came home first class how nice I know so um yeah so he was here until the 15th and I took him up to his um his brothers because his brothers um stays mostly at home over lockdown but he's a bit he wasn't feeling great so I thought it'd be nice to take my dad up so at least you know he's in his brother's house so they can have a bit of, a bit of time together you know so I took him up, left him there. Was your dad and his brother born and brought up in Scotland? Yes, they were Edinburgh boys. So um, there was three of them, but they lost their other brother. But um, yeah, my dad and his, his brother were really close. So he wanted them back. So he's back there and then I'm, I'm leaving him with his brother to decide what we do with the ashes. The coronavirus pandemic has triggered a wave of bereavement across the country and taken away our ability to be with loved ones and grieve in traditional ways. Marie Curie's new Memory Cloud is an online space to reflect on a loved one's life and share special memories with your friends and family. Visit memorycloud.org.uk Gail, lots of people listening to this podcast, we know people who are grieving or they're bereaved and, and people tell us, you know, they find, they find it helpful, they find it helpful hearing about other people's experiences. I just wanted to ask what... What helps you with your grief? Well, at first it was a complete nightmare because obviously lockdown. Um, but obviously talking to people is, is a good thing, but sometimes you don't want to. I'm one of the ambassadors for Samaritans. Right. The Samaritans. And do you know what? They've helped me loads because sometimes, I don't know how other people feel, of course, we're all different, but sometimes you don't want to, as much as your friends are all lovely and you know, wanting to come round or do, well, obviously they can't do it now, but they want to send you something or they want to phone me anytime. Sometimes that gets a little bit overwhelming for me. I get, I sort of, I've got quite big mood changes. Mm -hmm. And when you've got like 10 phone calls, you know, everybody's meaning well, but you've got a whole bunch of stuff to organize. And also you need a bit of peace and quiet. So sometimes switch the phone off and people like the Samaritans, they don't know you. They don't ask you your name if you don't want to tell you the name. They don't ask you any questions. You can just cry and they don't say anything. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that, for me, is a good way. And then I don't feel like I'm burdening my friends. I also tell my friends now, if I don't answer, I'll send you a text or something. I'm not being rude. It's just sometimes I don't want to talk. Mm -hmm. And if I, you know, please don't take it offensively because a lot of them were like, oh my God, it was constant, constant phone calls. So I think people, for me, Samaritans, where you know you're not answering any questions, you're not saying anything, you're just suddenly crying. And also, um, once I was allowed out, getting out, getting some fresh air, and just, you know, whether I'm running or 
put some music on or watch a film, but nothing sad. It has to be something a wee bit uplifting. I don't know. Everyone's different. Um, my daughter always keeps my spirits up. She's, you know, now she's 18, you know, 18 year old. That's another worry. So, you know, it keeps my, my, my brain busy. But yeah, it's, it's a, each individual. Just don't lock yourself away. It's very easy to lock yourself away and it doesn't help. And, you know, if you think about it, I know my dad would hate it if I was sitting crying all day long. And I know my mum would be the same if my brother was doing, me or my brother were doing the same. So it's just, it's easier said than done because, you know, grief is one of those things that never leaves you ever, you know. But you don't want it to ruin your life as well. And the person that's gone wouldn't want your life to be ruined. So you can grieve and try and be positive and remember. I get out quite lots of funny photos or funny bits and pieces or silly things that you know people have said or try and get people to send you funny anecdotes of nights out or something like that just something funny you think oh yeah instead of thinking of you know having to go and identify a body and come home thinking so yeah that's why I like thinking about my dad going first class mm. in a box and freaking out the other passengers so there's a dead body in there yeah yeah all right cheers everyone <laughs> And I think, as you say, Gail, you know, it's really important being able to say to those people who are close to you and who are around you, look, this is what I want and this is what I don't want. And I know that it's all well-intentioned, but actually for me, I'm a worrier. And so if you're, if I'm getting 10 phone calls, I'm going to be thinking about 10 people and then I'm going to be totally overwhelmed by that because you know, I might just want to drop you a text and not talk. And so I'm just letting you know. And I think it's important sometimes to spell those things out, isn't it? If you do know what you need and if you do know what helps you. My daughter said that to me actually the other day because I took Honey to Edinburgh for her 18 and a lot of people I hadn't seen. So I arranged to a few people to sort of get together for dinner. So all tables across so we could see each other. Um, and then so I thought we'll do that the first night and then I'm chilled and I'm not because everyone I hadn't seen anyone since dad had died and it's my daughter's 18 so it was kind of like celebrations are you okay is everything all right okay we'll do it all in one night but then the phone didn't stop I was only there for two days with my daughter and then every time the phone went my daughter was like do not answer it and stop stressing and stop going I'm really sorry I'm with my daughter you've told everyone you're with me switch your phone off I was like yeah I'm just worried she's like don't worry about anything switch the phone off and, you know, it's difficult, even though I said to everyone, just give me two days with my daughter. And I really appreciate the fact that you want to. And then I, and I was getting more and more stressed the more they kept going, are you sure you're okay? Are you definitely okay? I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And he was just like, switch. You've told them. You've told them you want to be on your own with me. Stop worrying about everybody else because you're just not enjoying yourself now. So yeah, that's the good thing. It's just tell them and then don't panic like I do. If someone said to me, please just give me a couple of days, I would give them a couple of days. I wouldn't phone them every two minutes going, are you sure you want that couple of days? <laughs> yes, I'm definitely sure. <laughs> Sounds like wise words from your daughter. Yeah, she's very, she's very, I don't know where she gets it from. I worry about everything. She worries about nothing. Well, she's a studious one. She's very clever, sits down, does all her studying, got everything in, you know, she knows what she wants to do, when she wants to do it. Me, I don't know what's happening. Don't know what day it is. Is everyone okay? Oh my gosh, should I do this? Oh, can I carry someone's suitcase? Are you allowed to touch that? Oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, I'm staying in. That's me. <laughs> panic, panic, panic. Always worrying. Yeah, you were saying earlier that um, you have been thinking about your own 
you know, death and planning for it so that actually that that's become important because you don't want to leave your daughter, um, you know, with, with loads of stuff to have to manage when, um, or deal with or sort out when she will be, you know, grieving. Yeah. And hope she is. Well, like just a week, just even a week, just a bit of a week, have a bit of a party or something. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and is that something you thought about before your dad had died and you were in the middle of all of this? I mean, had you kind of, would you, would you, had you thought about your own death and planning for the future? Hadn't really. Well, no, not really. Um, and then when I went bankrupt, I thought, well, I don't have anything to leave anybody. So I don't know what they're going to do with me. So, um, but my dad was still around at that point. So I was thinking, well, my dad will take care of it if I drop dead tomorrow. And then, so after that, I managed to get myself back on my feet. And once I started working again, I thought, right, I've got a bit of money, not much, but I've got enough to make sure that I could at least pay for someone to chuck me off. A br- I said to honey, could you chuck me off a bridge? She went, I'm not getting arrested. If you're not going to get arrested over your dad, I'm not going to get arrested chucking you off the fourth road bridge. I'm sure it's illegal in Scotland. I said, I'm sure you could give, you know, a nod and a wink and just set me on fire and chuck me off. She went, I'm not, that's not going to happen, mum. So I was like, oh, please take me home to Scotland anyway, whatever. But, um, but yeah, after dad, I started really, once I started dealing with all the paperwork on my own, especially quite a lot of it was in Spanish. And then and I was just like, wow, that's a lot. And my dad's got some properties as well, which I've never dealt with. And um, yeah, so yeah, it was just one thing after another. And I thought, I do not want my daughter. Because I spent, I think, six weeks on my own in lockdown, just trying to contact people to stop bank accounts. I didn't know where everything was. My dad just had tiny bits of paper here, there and everywhere. And yeah, it was an absolute nightmare. So I thought, right, yeah, let's just sort this now. So yeah, I'm, I'm in the process of sorting it just so that she's got nothing to worry about and it's all done. I don't think my dad would have planned it this way. I, I think he still thought he had a good innings. And I think... Um planning for death or talking about you know our own deaths often people will think well you know I don't have a lot of money so I don't need to get a will but it's not just about money and wills yeah so you know some of the conversations so like you were just saying earlier I want to be back in Scotland you know so I kind of so I know that and it's those things it's about your yeah little things like that it's about your wishes, isn't it? You know, and about what's important to you. So that can also be funeral wishes as well for people, you know. So, so, so people kind of, you know, whether they want music played or whether they want someone to talk, whether they want to be buried, cremated, thrown off a bridge illegally, whatever they're... <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go thrown off a bridge or cremated and then a party, no church, no, no big funeral thing, no expenses like that, no thanks. So church or religion's not been something that's been important? No, I'm just a bit of a free spirit. I don't go to church, I don't do any of that. So I'd feel a bit of a hypocrite. So, um, yeah, quite happy, just nice and simple. As long as everyone has a decent party, you know. I grew up in the 90s. I want them to go bigger. You know, I'll teach my daughter about, you know, decent 90s music. (laughs) Get her to throw a party. (laughs) And I think that free spirit, which you mentioned, I guess, whatever that means for you, um, also helps you and supports you in some way as well. Yeah, so hopefully, as long as, as long as it doesn't cost my daughter too much money and I've got all that sorted and everyone has a decent party, that's all I really care about. And everyone thinks of good, fun things. And I was thinking about making a video, you know, like when you see some of those... Um, so I saw a funeral, um, you probably read about it in the papers, it was quite a while ago. And the, the guy he knew, he was, I think he was a grandfather, a great-grandfather. 
and he had arranged when they were putting the, the coffin into the ground they put a tape recorder inside the coffin or they put it behind the coffin and it's like knocking and it's the grandpa going let me out let me out i'm yes, not ready did you see yes, that i did say it and as much as some people were a bit like oh, it was actually quite funny once you go over the initial shock and but everyone thought it was funny because that was his sense of humor and i thought well he knew he was dying and he wanted to make people laugh so I thought, you know, it is funny as long as what not somebody like really old that didn't get it and had a heart attack, and then you'd have another funeral on your hands. <laughs> but I'd like to do something quite amusing, or I don't know, make people smile. Funerals are weird, horrible things, but it's nice to have something fun to remember people yeah. by. But obviously, you know, there's going to be tears for everybody that you've ever loved, of course. So um, yeah, who knows? You can come if you want. Thank you. <laughs> Have you been invited to one yet on a podcast? That's an invite now. No, I haven't actually. Yeah, that's the first one I've been invited to. You can come to my funeral. You're officially invited. Thank you so much. That's all right. It'll just be a big, big ravey party. <laughs> you were saying earlier about, which, which links to this, I think, as well, just about that kind of telling stories and, you know, thinking about some of the funny things about an individual, you know, somebody who's died, you were talking about your dad. Um, but I think that can be really helpful as well for people who, you know, people getting together and not just at a funeral or at a wake or a party, um, but actually being able to share conversations and stories about somebody with each other, you know, just that storytelling. Yeah, like arranging to have a, you know, whether it's a FaceTime chat or when you're feeling up to it say maybe we should go for a coffee like with a friend of the person that's passed away but someone that they had good fun with or you know someone that's known them for a long time not just like a, a fleeting acquaintance and then when you're up for it say do you know what maybe next Monday if you, you feel up for it I feel up with it we'll go and sit or go for a walk in the park and talk about ourselves and, and then bring up stories and see how each other's doing and just you know you've got that common bond but also you can talk about each other and life and death and I think that's a really good idea. Just before we finish off, can I ask um, how you'd like to be remembered? <laughs> oh, um, oh, gosh. Um, I don't know, really. Um, just hopefully, you know, I'm sure I must have annoyed a lot of people along the way, as you do. But for the people that I didn't annoy, hopefully they think I was quite fun and nice to hang around. And... Um, yeah, friendly-ish and kind, hopefully. And that's about it, really. So anybody else that's mean to, I'm really sorry about that. You know, we all go through ups and downs. Can't be nice to everybody all the time. <laughs> I try my hardest, you know. So yeah, someone that laughed a lot and loves my animals. Oh, maybe I should get cremated in a, in a I don't know, I don't know. I've got all sorts of ideas now. <laughs> Just hanging out with animals somewhere. Just cut me up and feed me to some lions in Africa. Well, people can paint their own coffins. Can they? Oh, I'm useless at art. I'll get my daughter to do it. You know, you could have, you could have an animal-themed coffin. My daughter would hate that. I have to take into consideration what she would like, because, you know, we used to go to those places where they do the pottery and you can paint everything. Yes. So hers would all come out perfect, and mine would come out. The guy would go, oh, bless you. <laughs> I tried, for goodness sake. When we were young, well, when I was young, it was trampolines, trampoline parties. See, I could do that as a funeral. Trampolines, but not with me. And they ask, can you imagine? They has got oops. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't go on the trampoline. My friends can go on the trampolines and I can watch from a box. And then they can go and have the jelly and ice cream. 
So Gail, for people listening who might be caring for somebody with a terminal illness or might be grieving, is there anything, you know, thoughts you might share or um, something you might say that is helpful? Gosh, well, for anyone that's just be kind to yourselves, you know, for carers and people that are grieving, be kind to yourself because the person that you're caring for or the person that you're grieving for, they wouldn't want you to push yourself to a limit where you're actually not enjoying your own life because we only have one. So as much as you want to be there all the time and spend all your thoughts and worries for the person that's passed away or the person that you are caring for, you need a break. So if you are caring, ask for help, take a break. Don't feel guilty because you can't, you know, that person that you're caring for, they might not be able to say to you, but might be thinking it going, just go and do something nice for yourself. And they're just not able to get the words out. But yes, make sure that you look after yourself and be kind to yourself. And if you need to have a blowout and, you know, go and dance in the front room without crying and then go back to doing your duties, then go and do it. No one's going to think badly of you. You're doing a great thing and it's, it's a hard, hard thing to do, caring and grieving. And um, yeah, you've got to look after yourself such an important one isn't it it's such an important message and it really is gail porter thank you for joining me today on the marie curie couch for being so open and honest and telling your story and it's been a joy to meet you thank you so much jason so that's all for this episode of on the marie curie couch we hope it's got you thinking about matters of life and death and perhaps starting those conversations with your own friends and family. Marie Curie's here to help. From planning ahead to coping with bereavement, you can talk through any concerns you have around the end of life with our support line team, which also includes specially trained nurses. Call us on 0800 090 2309 or search Marie Curie online. This podcast is made by Marie Curie, a national charity that supports people affected by terminal illness. For more information and support, you can visit our website, mariecurie.org.uk. The podcast is produced and edited by Marie Curie with support from Ultimate Sound and Vision. The music featured is Time Lapse by Panoceanic. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do like and subscribe. Thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye.